Welcome to the Charleston Time Machine. I'm Nick Butler, historian at the Charleston County Public Library. And I hope you'll forgive me for reminding you that, yes, it's hurricane season again. Actually, as I'm recording this program, we've nearly reached the middle or peak of the 2017 hurricane season. And right outside my window, there's a tropical storm blowing rain sideways down the flooded streets at high tide. This season of storms and rain also brings its share of anxiety, so I'd like to offer a bit of distraction from our current weather uncertainties. At the risk of adding to your stress, let's turn back the calendar to early September of 1811 when a tornado measuring approximately 100 feet in diameter churned diagonally across the city of Charleston, leaving a swath of death and destruction in its furious wake. Each year between June and November, powerful cyclonic storms form in the eastern Atlantic and move westward and then northward with the warm waters of the Gulf Stream. Charleston and the low country of South Carolina stand within the potential path of these storms, of course, but some hurricane seasons are busier than others. These tropical cyclones also seem to work in cycles, so we might experience a rash of storms in a few short years, while other times decades might pass without a significant hurricane. Around the turn of the 19th century, Charleston was in the middle of a relatively busy cycle. We weathered four storms of varying strength within a 10-year period between 1797 and 1807. As you can imagine, the city and the region in general was a bit hurricane-weary by the time the stormy season commenced in the summer of 1811. To make matters worse, the tornado of 1811 arrived just 11 months after another dreadful calamity— a large fire that destroyed a significant portion of the neighborhood around what is now Philadelphia Alley in October of 1810. But we'll save that story for another day. The tornado of 1811 arrived in Charleston around midday on Tuesday the 10th of September. In the two days preceding the tornado, we experienced a great deal of strong winds and continuous rain. Considering these facts, it's likely that the tornado was associated with some sort of tropical cyclonic activity. Charlestonians are used to keeping an eye open for storms during this season, but the tornado of 1811 caught everyone off guard. As tornadoes generally do, this one arrived without warning and rapidly blazed a path across our peninsular city. Touching first near Fort Mechanic at White Point, Approximately in the center of modern East Battery Street, the twister spun in a northwesterly direction towards the Ashley River, cutting a diagonal swath of destruction that ended near the present site of the Joe Riley Baseball Stadium. Our best resource for descriptions of the tornado of 1811 is the local newspapers of mid-September. At that time, there were three daily newspapers in Charleston the Courier, the City Gazette, and the Times, which was an evening paper, as well as one weekly, the Carolina Gazette. I've read all the papers in search of the best descriptions, and I'd like to share with you some excerpts from the stories published by the Courier and the Carolina Gazette. According to these reports, the tornado of 1811 claimed approximately 20 lives in downtown Charleston. At that time, however, not all lives were valued equally in our community. 
As we read the following excerpts, note that the language of these newspaper reports reveals a greater concern for the loss of white Charlestonians, while the loss of so-called colored or Negro lives is somehow rendered less tragic. Such is the reality of life in Charleston of 1811. But of course, it is not so today. Before reading these texts, I just wanted to draw your attention to the prejudice inherent in these documents. So without further ado, let's fasten our safety belts and brace ourselves for the arrival of the tornado of 1811. From the Charleston Courier, Wednesday, 11 September 1811. Dreadful calamity. It is again our painful duty to detail the awful effects of a dreadful visitation upon our ill-fated city, a tornado having passed through it carrying death and desolation in its progress. On Sunday evening last, the wind, which had been for some days light and variable, shifted to the northeast, and blowing very fresh through the night, it continued in the same quarter all day on Monday and Monday night. On Tuesday morning, it blew with increased violence, and during the whole time from Sunday evening, there was an almost uninterrupted fall of rain. About 10 o'clock in the forenoon of Tuesday, the wind shifted to the southeast, and at half past 12 o'clock, a tornado, unprecedented here in its extent and effects, crossed a section of our city. It first took effect at Fort Mechanic, situated on the southeast point of the city, and passing from thence in a northwest direction, it crossed the town in a direct line to the pond on the north side of Cannon's Bridge. How far it has extended its ravages into the country, we have not yet learnt. In its progress, it overturned and completely destroyed a great number of houses and outbuildings, unroofed others, and prostrated trees, fences, and almost everything coming in contact with it. It is computed from a hasty view of the scene of devastation that the loss of the city will fall little, if any short, of that experienced by the calamitous fire in October last. But in addition to this great loss of property, we have on this occasion to lament the loss of several valuable lives. The tornado appears to have been about 100 yards in width. After it had prostrated the flagstaff on Fort Mechanic, unroofed the houses within the enclosure of that fort, thrown down the blacksmith shop contiguous to it, and unroofed all the houses immediately adjoining the fort, it crossed over to Lynch's Lane, where it unroofed several houses. From then it proceeded across Church Street Continued, to Meeting Street, where several houses were unroofed, particularly the large new brick house of Nathaniel Russell, Esquire, whose loss in furniture, etc., cannot amount to less than $20,000. From Meeting Street, it crossed to Trad Street, where a large three-story wooden house on the south side, about halfway between Meeting and King Street, was blown over, which crushed two adjoining houses in its fall and most of the houses on both sides of the street to the corner of King Street were unroofed or much shattered. It passed up King Street, nearly to Broad Street, unroofing and shattering several houses in its progress, until it reached Broad Street. Here, the house of Dr. Alex Barron, situated at the corner of Orange Street, and the venerable mansion of the late Dr. Chandler on the opposite corner, were very roughly handled. 
The latter, being old and weak, was completely wrenched to pieces. On the opposite side of Broad Street, the premises lately purchased by the St. Andrews Society and occupied by Mr. Henry Inglesby, the mansion of the late General McPherson, and some other buildings were either unroofed or much damaged. Passing through Vauxhall Garden, it crossed over Queen Street, near to the corner of Friend Street, and shattering several houses in its progress, it went on to the corner of Magazine and Mazique Streets. Two or three small houses fronting on the former of these streets were blown down, and in the progress of the tornado up Mazique Street, several houses were unroofed or otherwise much damaged. One or two houses were prostrated on Buffane Street. After leaving Buffane Street, the houses being less compactly situated, the marks of its ravages are not so distinctly to be traced, though it appears to have lost nothing of its violence. The mansion house of the Honorable Judge Decessor was violently assailed and suffered very considerably. One of the chimneys was thrown down, and part of the family, who were at that time in the upper room of the house, were precipitated with the falling bricks through two floors into the kitchen. Providentially, no lives were lost, excepting that of a Negro girl. Several other houses on the outskirts of the city were either unroofed or much injured, and we also understand that much injury has been sustained in the village of Islington, but we were unable last evening to obtain any further particulars. The most painful part of our duty still remains. It is to record the deaths which have been occasioned by this dreadful disaster. They are, so far as has come to our knowledge, as follows. Miss Margaret Cousins, aged 21 years, killed in a house adjoining Fort Mechanic. Dr. Canton, a native of France, a worthy man, killed by the falling of his house in Buffane Street. Mr. Peterson, a native of Germany, grocer, at the corner of Magazine and Mazique Streets. A free mulatto man, in Church Street continued. A French mulatto girl, in King Street. Two mulatto children, either killed or drowned by the falling of a house which was blown into the mill pond at Cannons Bridge. A Negro man belonging to Mr. Denner, Mazique Street. We have also heard of two or three other Negroes killed, but did not learn to whom they belonged. Besides which, a great number of persons have either had their limbs broken or been very much bruised, and we fear that others have perished whose bodies have not yet been discovered. This dreadful visitation is more afflicting than even the ravages of a conflagration. The tornado struck suddenly passed through the city with the rapidity of lightning, and, in an instant, involved in destruction and death both the habitation and the inhabitant. No notice of the approaching danger was given, and before friendship and humanity could fly to the relief of the sufferers, all was involved in ruin. It was preceded by a momentary deceitful calm, and was attended by a steady rumbling noise, resembling that of a carriage rattling over a pavement. Last evening the wind shifted to the southwest, and although it continued to blow with some violence, we trust that the storm has spent its force. We did not gain any intelligence from Sullivan's Island last evening, but as the tide did not rise so high as on former occasions, we hope that the citizens at present upon the island have escaped without injury. 
What effect this severe storm may have had upon the crops on our seaboard remains to be seen. We think the damage sustained must be very considerable. We trust that our seafaring brethren upon the coast have been enabled to weather the storm. The shipping in the harbor have sustained but little injury. A few small craft were sunk at the wharves. On the following day, September 12, 1811, the Charleston Courier published a new column of fresh information about the storm that offers some very useful insight into the scope and the nature of the damage to the city. The Tornado In addition to the particulars furnished in yesterday's Courier of the dreadful devastation occasioned by this awful visitation to our city, many other particulars have since come to our knowledge. We shall not attempt to particularize the numerous sufferers on this melancholy occasion, convinced that it would be impossible to give a correct statement of every individual loss. Our opinion of this great general loss which has been sustained is strengthened by a resurvey of the ruins, which are even more extensive than we had first apprehended, and immense numbers of houses which were not immediately within the vortex of the tornado have suffered more or less from the falling ruins of those which were more immediately the subjects of its fury. Slates and tiles torn from the roofs of houses are to be seen in every direction, half buried in the sides of neighboring buildings, and in some instances joists and even massy beams are found transfixed through contiguous buildings. Large masses of lead and pieces of iron, which had been attached to houses, have since been discovered nearly buried in the walls of other buildings at the distance of several hundred yards. The more we reflect upon the awful subject, the more we are astonished that, comparatively, so few have perished under the ruins. In addition to the deaths of white persons enumerated in our last paper, Mrs. Stewart's daughter, about 12 years old, has since died from the wounds received by the falling of her house in Church Street, and several Negroes have also died of their wounds. The number of deaths altogether will not, probably, fall short of 20. Among the many instances of divine protection on this awful occasion, the following was particularly interesting. A lady, far advanced in pregnancy, was reposing with her sister on her bed in an upper apartment when the tornado reached the house. The noise so alarmed a Negro girl in waiting that she sought for refuge under the bed on which her mistress was lying. A stack of chimneys was struck by the wind with such tremendous violence that it fell on the roof and forced its way through the house to the ground, precipitating the floors along with it. The bed fell with the floors, but the ladies, we are happy to state, escaped without any injury. The Negro girl beneath the bed was crushed to pieces." The happy tidings that no injury had been sustained upon Sullivan's Island, which reached town early yesterday morning, gave relief to many an agonized heart, whose family or connections were in that exposed situation, while it was utterly impossible to fly to their assistance. The carrier of the Southern Mail, in crossing the causeway on this side of the Ashley River Bridge, in a sulky, was swept off and carried nearly 200 yards 
The horse was drowned, but the driver fortunately escaped with the mail, although it was much damaged. The effects of the tornado have extended some distance into the country, prostrating trees and fences in its progress. On Saturday, September 14, 1811, a weekly newspaper called the Carolina Gazette published a pretty good summary of the effects of the recent tornado, drawing its text largely from the coverage published earlier in the week by the Charleston Times. The version published by the Carolina Gazette contains some additional notes, however, so I'd like to focus on its coverage for the moment. The text contains a few misspellings of names and some really awkward sentence constructions, but these errors don't really detract from the overall impact of the narrative. The Tornado After the most unremitted exertions on our part to obtain as correct an account as possible, the following are, as far as we could learn them, the principal sufferers. To obtain a list of all who suffered by this dreadful calamity is scarcely possible, as many in various parts of the city who were not within the vortex of the tornado have suffered considerably by the falling of timber, slates, tiles, etc. A most extraordinary instance of the force of the wind occurred at the house of Mr. Ruddock in King Street. A piece of timber nearly 30 feet long, about 6 by 9 inches square, was taken from the balcony of the house of Mr. Bois-Gerard in Church Street and carried through the air to the distance of about a quarter of a mile, when in its fall it went through the roof and two doors. And when we saw it, it was still in this position, one end out of the roof and the other projecting about three feet into the kitchen below. The amazing force with which it fell was such that the holes made in the roof and floors were only large enough to admit the timber. At Mr. Fayol's in King Street, a piece of scantling, about three or four inches square, struck a tree in the yard with great violence, from which, with unbroken force, it struck a large pillar that supported the piazza which it prostrated, and then it struck a mahogany table standing against the wall of the house, the outer leaf of which was shattered to atoms, went through the other into the brick wall about one inch, with such force as to knock off the plastering on the inside. New East Bay Street. It commenced at the house of Captain Warren, which it entirely destroyed. A young lady, Miss Cousins, was thrown from the garret of this house, a distance of about 30 feet, into the third story of Mr. Kenmont's house and killed. Mr. Kenmont's house and blacksmith shop, one heap of ruins, four Negroes badly wounded, two of them, it is feared, mortally. Lynch's Lane, Mr. McGillivray's house unroofed and otherwise much damaged, Mr. Hollowell, Mr. James Wellsman, Messrs. Hayes and McKinley, the same. Captain John's outhouses entirely destroyed. Mrs. Rogers' outbuildings entirely destroyed. Dwelling house much injured. Mr. Galloway, pilot, house much shattered. Captain Bennell's house unroofed and otherwise much damaged. Church Street continued. Mr. Joseph Yates, one end of the house blown out and otherwise much injured. Charles Pinckney Esquire's garden wall blown down. Mr. Keenan's house, occupied by Mr. McPhee, irreparable. Outhouses a heap of ruins. Mr. Lindsay's outhouses totally destroyed. 
Mr. William B.'s house unroofed. Mr. J. Broughton, property of Mr. Keenan, house irreparable. Mr. Thomas Fitzsimmons, outhouses destroyed and a mulatto boy killed. Priscilla Porter, a brown woman, house entirely gone. Mrs. McLeish, house partly unroofed and otherwise much damaged. Mrs. Stewart, house entirely destroyed, her daughter since dead of her wounds and herself not expected to recover. Mr. Edward Simmons, house unroofed. Mr. Chisholm's house, partly unroofed, outbuildings unroofed, and otherwise much injured. Mrs. Baker's house, much damaged, chimneys thrown down. Mr. Jervie's house, partly unroofed and otherwise injured. Dr. Reed's house, balcony carried away, several outhouses destroyed. The top of Mr. Baker's chimney thrown into his balcony, distance not less than 20 feet. Meeting Street, Mrs. Rivers, house unroofed, front blown out, and the outbuildings destroyed, three servants wounded. Mr. Joseph Butler, house much shattered. Both of the above are the property of Jervis Henry Stevens, Esquire. Mrs. Simmons, chimney blown down and house otherwise injured. Mr. Brisbane and Mr. James Mitchell's houses partly unroofed. Mr. Thomas Campbell Cox, editor of the Times, house partly unroofed, moved from the foundation and rendered irreparable. A house near the above in Price's Alley, belonging to Mr. Cox and occupied by Mr. Guilford, chimney thrown down and house much injured. Nathaniel Russell's elegant large mansion, unroofed, windows all stove in, house otherwise much damaged, furniture destroyed, and outhouses unroofed, loss estimated at nearly $20,000. Trad Street, Mr. John Reynolds, house on side, blown out and otherwise injured. Rose Summers, colored woman, house destroyed. A large three-story frame house belonging to Mr. Eric, unoccupied, thrown over, and in its fall crushed to atoms the house of Mr. Thomas Harper and rendered irreparable one belonging to Miss Murray, also unoccupied. Mrs. Harper's life was saved by getting under a table, from whence she was taken unhurt. Stephen Lee's three-story brick house, partly unroofed. It was in the third story of this house that a piece of lead weighing near 40 pounds was thrown by the wind from the house of Mr. Russell, a distance of about 100 yards. A house belonging to the widow Marshall, unoccupied, unroofed, and otherwise much injured. Mr. Robert Dewar, lower part of the front of his house, blown out. Another house belonging to Mr. Dewar and occupied by Mrs. Wainwright, unroofed. Mrs. Kay's house much injured, outhouses destroyed. Mr. James Fleming's, the same. Captain Cole's house partly unroofed and much damaged. James Harper's back buildings unroofed and much other damage. King Street, Margaret Wilson, colored woman, house destroyed. Mr. Paradin's house, gable end blown out. Mrs. Esnar's whole front of the house blown out and a mulatto girl killed by its fall. Broad Street, the mansion house of the late Dr. Chandler torn to pieces. Dr. Barron's large house, one half the roof taken off and otherwise much damaged. Mrs. McPherson's house, roof much damaged and all the glass in the front windows destroyed. The buildings belonging to the St. Andrew Society, 
in the occupation of Mr. Henry Inglesby, roofs in part carried away and otherwise much damaged. A large brick house owned by Mr. Cohen was untiled. Mr. Nicholson's house, occupied by Mr. Thomas Martin, chimney blown down and otherwise injured. Mr. James Gregory's fences thrown down and part of the roof of the outbuildings carried away. Vauxhall Garden, the tornado passed through the center walk, in which there is scarce a tree left standing. Queen Street, a large house occupied by the Mrs. Marsans, upper part of the piazza blown away, outhouses down and otherwise much injured. Captain John F. Brooks, front of the house blown out, chimney thrown down and piazza destroyed. A house belonging to Mr. Christie and occupied by Mr. John Smythe, chimney blown upon the roof, windows burst in and otherwise damaged. At this place, an outbuilding 20 feet square was taken off its foundation, carried three feet, and set down uninjured. Magazine Street. Mr. Drummond's house, occupied by Messrs. Archer and Peterson, totally destroyed, and the latter killed by its fall. Mr. Richard Stiff's house, and a great part of the furniture, destroyed. A new frame house belonging to Mr. Caleb Walker, thrown off its foundation. Mazeek Street. Mr. George Denner's chimney thrown down and a Negro man killed by its fall. Mrs. Legree's large three-story house, partly unroofed and otherwise much damaged. Mr. James Sweeney's two houses much injured. Buffane Street. Dr. Canton killed, house entirely destroyed. Mr. William Simmons' house entirely destroyed. Both of the above were the property of Mr. Brennan. House occupied by Major James Simmons, belonging to Dr. Moore. Chimneys thrown down and the roof much damaged. Mr. Omensetter's chimneys thrown down. Wentworth Street. A large building belonging to Mr. Williman and used as a bark house, entirely destroyed. A new two-story frame house belonging to Mr. Smith, totally destroyed. Mr. Burkmeyer's back buildings blown down. Pitt Street. Martha Moulton, a black woman, new two-story house, entirely destroyed. Montague Street. The mansion house of the Honorable Judge Decessor was violently assailed and suffered very considerably. One of the chimneys was thrown down, and part of the family, who were at that time in an upper room of the house, were precipitated with the falling bricks through two floors into the kitchen. Mr. Daniel Cobia's house, partly unroofed, fenced down, and other damage. Bull Street. Mr. John Duncan, house partly unroofed, and an outhouse nearly 20 feet square was thrown on the next lot and destroyed. A wench who was caught under it escaped with slight injury. Mr. Henry Rose, house roof raised up several inches, piazza carried away. A handsome outbuilding, 36 feet by 16, was taken up and carried a distance of 70 feet on top of a carriage house of 30 by 12 feet and both crushed to splinters. A large three-story brick house belonging to Mr. Blackwood and occupied by Mr. Parker, partly unroofed and fences blown down. Boundary Street. Mr. N.G. Maxwell's house, occupied by Mr. Strobel, unroofed and otherwise very much shattered, outbuildings entirely destroyed. Three Negroes taken unhurt from beneath the ruins.
Nancy Randall, a colored woman, house entirely destroyed, and two children killed. The mother's collarbone broke and otherwise much bruised. The children were carried on the bed on which they lay asleep at the time the house was upset, a distance about 400 feet into the creek and were drowned, as it did not appear that any of the bruises on their bodies were mortal. Mr. Bartholomew Carroll's clay house, three stories high, unoccupied, surrounded entirely with piazzas, which were ripped off, although bound by joists passing through the house, which was completely unroofed. Of a building 36 by 18 feet for a kitchen, stable, etc., not a piece is left standing. It is remarkable that the clay walls, an experiment made in building by Mr. Carroll, were uninjured. We have thus traced the tornado in its destructive course from New East Bay Street, near Fort Mechanic, where it entered the city, to its exit out of the city at Boundary Street, from whence it passed the mill pond and through Mr. Leger's garden, did some injury to Mr. Duncan's outhouses, crossed the Cannonsbridge Road, leveling everything in its course, until it reached the house of Mr. Edward Edwards, the chimney of which it threw down and transfixed a cedar post in the second story of the house, which it entirely pierced, reaching a bed just left by Mrs. Edwards and children. This post was taken out of the ground by the wind and carried at least 400 feet. From this we trace it through a considerable space of open ground until it reached a house occupied by black people, belonging to Captain Benjamin Harvey, which it entirely destroyed. There were several Negroes in it at the time, not one of which has received any injury. Some outbuildings, the property of Mr. Whiting, were at the same time the objects of fury, several of which it destroyed. It then passed, leaving the bridge over the Ashley River to the left, to the farm of Mr. Thomas Gadsden, whose outhouses and haystacks were laid prostrate or carried away. It here entered the Ashley River, and of its direction afterwards, we have not heard. The tornado of September 1811 was a major event in the long history of Charleston, and hurricane season seems a fitting time to reflect on the destructive wrath it brought to our community. As we enter the height of the storm season, it's high time to check your supplies and keep your eye on the weather. Be safe, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed this journey into the past aboard the Charleston Time Machine. Kevin Crothers is the executive producer of this program for WYLA at the Charleston County Public Library. I'll be back on the air next week with more adventures in low country history. But if you'd like to join me in person for a live presentation, check out the library's calendar of events at ccpl.org or visit my blog, charlestontimemachine.org. Thanks for listening. This is Nick Butler, and I'll see you in the future.